HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program was brought to you by Le Creuset, made in France since 1925. The first and finest enameled cast iron cookware and a favorite for generations. For more information, visit lecreuset.com. That's L-E-C-R-E-U-S-E-T dot com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Welcome to Feast Your Ears. I'm Harry Rosenblum, and I love to talk with people about what they do and how it influences their personal food stories. This is a show about people, life, and food. Thanks for tuning in today to Feast Your Ears. This is episode number 128. If you're just tuning in for the first time, all of the previous episodes can be found in the archives at heritageradionetwork.org. I'm really thankful for listeners like you, not just in this time of thanks, but always. And I would love it if you'd leave me a review wherever you find this podcast. It's available on Stitcher, on Spotify, on the internet, pretty much much everywhere you can find it. Today's theme is the four seasons, uh, winter, spring, summer, fall. There are four seasons in most places that we think about, although it seems like in California right now there's only one season. It's fire season out there. Um, and certainly our hearts and thoughts go out to anybody that has lost family, friends, uh, land, animals, things like that out in California. But, you know, we talk a lot about the four seasons. We talk about eating seasonally. Um, it's something that in the last 10 years has become a big fad. Um, you know, people trying to eat from the green markets and trying to, uh, you know, eat what is being grown in a given time. And that can mean different things depending where you are. I think many of us uh, may not sort of realize that, one of the greatest restaurants in the world that sort of was one of at the forefront of the gourmet sort of food and restaurant movement, uh, certainly here in New York, was or is the Four Seasons, which was opened in 1959 in the Seagram's building and was at the time really ahead of its time. I mean, I think it took like 50 years for the rest of the world to kind of catch up to this idea of eating seasonally, but that was the, the restaurant was named for the Four Seasons and they changed their menu. Um, and my guest today is Diego Garcia, who is now the executive chef of the Four Seasons, which was closed for about two years, reopened in August. And uh, we're going to talk today about 
what that means to take over kind of the helm of a restaurant that has all these classics, but also has an ethos of eating seasonally and cooking seasonally. So thank you so much for joining me today, Chef. Thank you for having us. Thank you. So, uh, you know, the Four Seasons has a ton of history. It's older than either I or I am. It's older than you are. Um, you know, how did you come to sort of find yourself at the Four Seasons? Um, <clears throat> well, I owned a little restaurant called Gloria uh, in Midtown, 53rd and 9th. Um, there was uh, one of the owners of the Four Seasons, Julian Nicolini, used to be a regular there at the restaurant. Oh. And uh, he'd come in very, very often. Um, so he, he was stalking you, essentially. Essentially. <laughs> um, and uh, he loved the food. Uh, we got, got along, developed a friendship. Um, he talked to me about the Four Seasons. Obviously, I've known about the Four Seasons for many years, you know, through culinary school and just working sure. in New York. Um, so it was always interesting for me to talk to him uh, and hear the stories and about the restaurant. And then we came to a place where we started discussing me possibly working there and uh, being the, the chef for the restaurant. Um, and one thing led to the other, and here we are now. I mean, I think it, it, it is an amazing story in that the restaurant was in the same place for, you know, almost... 50 years, well, yep. no, for more than 50 years, more than 50 years, more than 50 years, almost 60 years, um, and then had to move. And so closed for two years. And so you get to step in kind of to this historic restaurant that's brand new, right? I mean, yep. it's like, it's not the same space that it was. It's a brand new kitchen. It's all those things. So, you know, in doing that, um, you know, obviously there are a lot of dishes on the menu that are classics. I'm sure you have customers who come to the Four Seasons who, you know, still may have even eaten there when it opened in 1959. How do you, as a chef, sort of keep those old classics on the menu, but then have room to kind of play yourself? Do you rotate through those or are there items that you guys have decided just kind of like stay on the menu? Uh, well, the classics are, for example, the uh, duck it's a big time classic. Um, the Dover Sole, the lamb, and crab cake. Yep. Um, it's very important to maintain some of those classics. It's what the Four Seasons is, is known for. So I didn't. I approached it more in a sense of uh, being, you know, proud and uh, and and happy and thankful to be able to execute those dishes that I've heard about for so many years, and also be able to do my own my own menu. Um, obviously revolving around um, seasonality, um, but uh, love, love uh, the, the dishes that we have, uh, the duck and, and the, the Dover sole. Um, the new dishes that we have are, um, you know, very light, fresh, seafood forward, uh, uh, very focused with uh, sustainability and, uh, and the... Um, um, seasonality sorry yep. um sure like i see there's like the the snapper with grilled fall vegetables on the menu um, i assume that's an addition of yours yes it is uh so the majority of the menu is it's it's my own um besides the the dishes i just mentioned sure right yeah and and those are called out i mean there's like the four season steak tartare obviously that's a dish that may well have been on the menu now for 60 for a long years time, yeah. yeah um do you guys have anything big planned for next year it being the 60th anniversary uh, not yet. I haven't heard anything of, hmm. uh, about a, uh, a get-together, a little party, but uh, I'm sure we'll do something. Cool. Yeah. Definitely I, a celebration. <laughs> we have a lot of menus from the past. We have archives of sure. you know, menus from the 50s, the 60s, 70s. I would really love to 
to execute some of those old school dishes and oh, bring them be, back a little bit. Yeah, that would be um, really fun to go yeah. through the ages and kind of look at dishes that were on the menu and sort of bring them back, like throwback style. Definitely. Yeah, that'd be neat. I've never had the pleasure of actually of eating at the Four Seasons, um, but I was recently paging through a copy of the Four Seasons cookbook or book sort of about the history of it that came out i think came out in like the 90s maybe maybe Mm. a little bit later um and it was amazing to me to kind of understand its history not just as a like culinary importance of it being a seasonal restaurant and it being sort of very you know at at the absolute top um in terms of restaurants in a city like new york but also the number of like intense kind of interesting parties that were held there i mean there were lots of like really you know it seemed like for a, for quite a long time and and I, I imagine this still to be true although i know the space is a little bit smaller but like it was a big place for celebrities to throw parties or for promotional parties is that something you guys have been doing in the new space as well yeah well, obviously the the space is a little smaller uh but we do definitely offer a pdr a private dining room uh, that seats 100 and we do multiple different parties uh from birthdays to weddings uh to just uh get together for companies. Now are you running that space out of the same kitchen as the No, rest there's of the two there's two kitchens. There we okay. have the main kitchen that we do uh, the a la carte menu and then there's a kitchen upstairs just designated to do the private dining. Got it. It'd be very difficult to do uh, a <laughs> that was why I asked. I mean obviously with a brand new space it's much easier to think about those things, right? I mean I've right. seen lots of restaurants, you know, even like Roberta's where we're sitting today that's grown organically over the years and didn't necessarily plan to have, you know, this whole seating area that we're looking out on wasn't here when this restaurant opened. So they haven't made their kitchen any bigger, but they've added like 50 seats. So right. like sort of how do you manage that um, in a restaurant? Um, tell me a little bit about growing up. Did you cook seasonally? Did your family eat seasonally when you were a kid? Yeah, big time. Uh, I grew up in, and I was born in Mexico, uh, the Sio Cortez area, in a little town called uh, Puerto Peñasco, also known in English as Rocky Point. Um, it's a fisherman's town. Uh, my one, some of my earliest memories are waking up. I lived in this little hill, uh, the only hill in the town. Um, and you run down, we'd go down and at 5 a.m. with my mom and take a bunch of vinegar and pour it over the, the rocks and this octopus would come out. And, uh, so wait, wait, go, wait, tell, explain that to me. So the, are they attracted uh, to vinegar? No, they just, uh, I think it's a little painful for them. Oh. So they try to get out of the little... Uh, burrows that they have uh, to try to escape so you just kind of grab them and uh, we take them home and cook them we did a lot of clamming a lot of um, fishing um, so we lived off the, off the, the ocean you know if, during that time there was a uh, hard times for our family family financially but we ate like kings I mean hmm. I think I had the best I mean that access to the kid. ocean is amazing and, and especially as a kid I mean when I was a kid we spent a lot of time on the coast of Maine and starting from a young age, seven, eight years old, I would go down to the dock in the morning with a fishing rod at sunrise right. and catch some fish and then come back to the house and cook them for breakfast. You definitely develop a sense of appreciation and understanding to, uh, you know, number one, the work that it goes to into catching fish or farming or sure. growing a, a cow, um, raising a cow. But uh, it was a really, really cool experience. We also owned a little restaurant in that town uh, that was also seafood focused. So I was always in and out of the kitchen trying to help as much as possible. Ah, so you went into the family business. Uh, <laughs> yes, I was in denial for a long time, but <laughs> I decided to go with it. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I think that that's, you know, so that's, 
it's amazing to have access to that fresh seafood. And so now, you know, you're in a place where you're having to order that seafood. So what are some of the, what are some of the things that you, uh, I guess are careful about in your seafood sourcing or what, what are like important questions for you to ask your sources when you're say ordering that snapper for that dish or ordering the sole? Uh, well, f- first, I, I like to talk about it. We have um, a gentleman, uh, Patricio is his name, um, and he go- he's our seafood buyer. Uh, he goes out to the market and buys everything himself. So every speck we give him, um, he'll find it exactly for us. You know, if I need like a three-pound Dover uh, fluke, he'll find it no problem. Um, so we definitely like to stay within season yeah. um, uh, seafood and try to buy from... Um, uh, small uh, fishermen, uh, small companies and boats. There's also a relationship that the Four Seasons has had for many, many years. Sure. So a big part of that too is me, you know, coming into a, a place like the Four Seasons, I can't just change everything. Right. Um, I have to adjust to this history, to this uh, relationships that have been in place for many years. Um, but definitely sustainable. Um, try to stay local, like I said, and um, and within season. Um, big thing that we ask is the method of, of, of catching, mm-hmm. um, which doesn't happen often with, with the fishermen we buy from. Uh, patrolling, it's a big thing that I like to stay away from um, that only big, big boats do. Yeah. So we don't actually really don't have much of a problem uh, with that, and we always get the best product. So Cool. Was the, was the menu at the Four Seasons as fish-heavy in the past? It was not. Okay. Yeah, it hasn't been very... Uh, f- that's something that I really appreciate Julian and Alex uh, allowing me to do. I love seafood. Um, Gloria was an old seafood restaurant. So, you know, the only thing they did ask for me was to keep some of those um, dishes that we spoke about earlier, sure. the classics. Yep. Um, but I could do essentially anything. I had free reign, so I definitely wanted to keep it um, seafood-focused. Um, and also just to bring awareness, I think uh, I have a little bit of a responsibility at the Four Seasons, and to bring some fish that is not as popular or known. And a lot of chefs are not willing to take that gamble. Right. Um, especially anyway. at the level. Especially at that like level. Seasons, you know, yeah. because not that they can execute it or that it, it's just people I don't think are aware or, or know which types of, of fish. Like a skate, for example. Um, it's becoming a lot more popular. But I remember even five, seven years ago, uh, nobody had skate on the menu. Yep. Uh, a lot of people are not aware of the different types of fish that... Sure. I mean, like, I'm looking at the menu right now, and, you know, like, I love squid. But I feel like that is not, I would not have expected to find squid on the menu at a place like the Four Seasons. Exactly. So I think that's, you know, I think that definitely speaks to to your influence um, on on the menu, which I think is is really cool. How often do you change the, the dishes? I mean, is there, like, a delineated, like, season? Like, do you guys announce a fall menu and a winter menu, or do you just kind of rotate things in as it happens? We do. Um... We rotate the menu every season, but obviously it's dictated by Mother Nature. Right. You know, just because the calendar says fall starts this day doesn't right. mean we change everything completely. So, sure. you know, we just listen yep. and uh, we go to the green market and we see what's available. And slowly but surely we'll uh, change dishes as, as pr- produce becomes available and same with uh, seafood. Um, and we take it from there. I think it takes it's about around a period of a week to two weeks to change the menu right. completely. Sure. Um, but once that happens, it's fairly easy rotation. Yeah. So I assume you'll have some, like what what's on here now feels very fall to me. So I assume you'll have some changes coming as it gets colder. Definitely. Moving into December and January. 
Um, as far as feedback from longtime customers, like I, I assume, you know, through, you know, I assume with the reopening in August, the problem must have been a flood of people coming who had been there before. Um, what kind of things were you hearing from longtime customers? Um, big time was, uh, can we get the uh, cream spinach back on the menu? <laughs> <laughs> or like sides. Um, but uh, no, everybody loves the food. I've heard f- from multiple customers that it's the best the food's ever been. Nice. Uh, so it feels good yeah. um, to, to hear that. Also, I hear a lot about, um, for example, the squid and the skate, how they've never heard of that type of fish before and how delicious it was. And being able to venture out beyond just what they're used to having at the Four Seasons. Yeah. So the whole idea is to uh, you know create this environment where people feel comf- confident enough that to take a gamble to maybe you know because it's you're spending money to yeah. to for us to prepare your food to to be able to order a dish and know that it will be prepared and executed properly yep. and deliciously for you whether or not you're you know what it is exactly right, or right. how it tastes like. Well, and, and then on the consumer end, I mean, having the comfort in the space and the, you know, and the confidence in you and, and the restaurant to say, you know what, it is expensive and I've never heard of this before, but I'm going to try it because this is the right place, right? Exactly. To do that. I do find it interesting. I was just, I, I found myself thinking when you were talking about, you know, your fish sourcing and sourcing from the green market and these sort of longstanding relationships that the Four Seasons has, that, you know, looking at this menu, I read it and I think, oh, that's great. Grilled fall vegetables, like salmon ceviche, um, you know, the pistachio crusted rack of lamb is one of those things that is obviously a very old, like that's one of the classics, but it's also feels very new to me. Um, and at the same time, I think about what was the sourcing like for this stuff in the 1960s. I mean, talk about like, you know, stuff that we take for granted, right? That you can get right. like, you know, in the supermarket, you can get a dozen different kinds of extra virgin olive oil in 2018. Right. In 1960, there was not any, right? And yeah. so so that's very interesting to me to understand sort of the, if there are people who've been eating there in the 60s and the 70s and the 80s and the 90s and the thousands and now sort of like you know how how has the food changed but also stayed the same and it seems to me like your job is probably easier right to a certain extent because the quality of food that's available is better yeah and um not only that the quality of food but i think everybody is a lot more conscious um of sourcing and the demand is higher for it so you know you see it everywhere right. it's almost a little too much <laughs> um but yeah just touching on what you were saying i, I remember going through a menu and reading um, frog legs was a menu item, and I was thinking to myself, where, where, where are they, where are they getting these frog legs sure. back in the '60s? <laughs> um, so yeah, that's. We also have a farm upstate. Um, it's not a Four Seasons farm, but um, they grow vegetables for us. Oh, nice. So I go through a catalog and I pick seeds. Um, we're starting to do the 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 winter um, winter seed catalog, uh, but all through summer, every tomato we had in house. Um, the favas, the peas, they were all coming from a farm upstate called uh, Rochambeau. Oh, sure. Yeah, I know that farm well. Yeah, it's beautiful up there. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we're going to take a short break and hear from one of our sponsors here at Heritage Radio Network. Le Creuset is our sponsor today for Feast Your Ears. Um, I love my Le Creuset pots and pans um and you know they've been made in France for generations and uh I do too. Yeah. (laughs) Set tonight. And I can love. 
Today's program was brought to you by Le Creuset, the first to pioneer colorful enameled cookware over 90 years ago. They've been a favorite for generations through the meals and memories the cookware creates and the style it expresses. My name is Kat Johnson. I'm the communications director at Heritage Radio Network. When I'm not making food radio, I'm making food, and my favorite cookware is the eight-quart marine blue Dutch oven that never leaves my stovetop. Before we got our Le Creuset, the cookware we used most often was an antique Griswold cast iron pan. It didn't take long for me to realize how much I'd been missing enamel cast iron in my life. Le Creuset has the superior heat retention of cast iron, but paired with the unparalleled performance and ease of enamel. That means delicious food with easy cleanup. Head to lecreuset.com slash HRN, that's L-E-C-R-E-U-S-E-T dot com slash HRN to see all the new products and amazing holiday gift deals. HRN listeners will get 20% off the new Le Creuset cookbook with the code HRN. Welcome back to Feast Your Ears. If you're just tuning in, I'm in the studio today with Chef Diego Garcia, who is the executive chef of the Four Seasons. Um, I would encourage you, uh, as I would like to, to check out the Four Seasons. I think sometimes in the kind of hipper, younger restaurant world where we have Michelin stars going to restaurants that have opened in what used to be unlikely places like Gowanus or Bushwick, um, you know, I think people kind of stay away from some of the kind of, you know, the grand old restaurants. Um, but, you know, if you tune in or if, you're, if you've listened to the first half of this show, you can tell that, you know, Diego's really taken the restaurant and while keeping some old classics on the menu that are worth trying, has brought his own, uh, his own great dishes and his own seafood kind of into things. I wanted to ask you, Chef, um, about staff. So, I mean, the restaurant was closed for two years. Do you have any staff who worked in the old space or is it a complete turnover? The majority of the staff worked at the old, old space. Oh, wow. Um, <clears throat> a lot of the cooks are from the previous restaurant, which, um, you know, to me was a blessing, really. Um, there's a lot of regulars, right? They come in and they want very specific items. Sure. Or there's a specific salad that they've had for many, many years. Right. So for me to try to recreate that <laughs> would be a challenging and probably not consistent enough to what the yeah. customer wanted. Right. It's institutional so, knowledge, right? They've been in that kitchen time. for a long time. They've been yeah. so much help. That's amazing. And it's made my job a lot easier um, executing. And, you know, it's important for me to go in there and not have an ego. And yeah. just because I'm a chef doesn't go like this, right? Um, I was willing to listen um, from the past and how they executed different items and dishes. And I learned a lot from them. So it was a very, very... Uh, it was very important for the transition to happen. And also we have new cooks um, that are, they feel the same way. You know, they're, they look at these guys kind of as mentors and, and leaders in the kitchen uh, who've been doing this for 20 years, yeah. uh, cooking at that level uh, and working under pressure and getting down to those small details, right, um, that a young cook strives to, to shoot for. Um, so it's been a great experience 
absolutely with awesome. the, the old look crew and i mean and you have a lot you're you have a lot of sort of different things going on i mean you have lunch in the bar you have bites in the bar you have a lunch menu you have a dinner menu and then you have the private dining right so it's a lot and then you as you said you have people coming in and saying well i want cream spinach again yeah (laughs) right and so of course i assume you guys try to accommodate that for those older long-term customers who you know sort of have, have kept the four seasons kind of as one of their spots to go to very important um, and then you, I mean, you have, and you have another, you know, your pastry chef, right? Bill Yosis is the pastry chef. Mm-hmm. Uh, he worked at the White House. Yes, he did. Um, so that's a pretty, like, you've got yeah. a pretty, pretty star team over there. Yeah, he's, he's, he's great. Um, I love listening to his stories and, <laughs> you know, Chef Bill is my go-to for advice, not just in life and cooking or, uh, he's, he's essentially been a mentor to me. Did you know him before? I did not know him before. He's so easygoing and low maintenance and, uh incredibly intelligent uh i couldn't ask for for a better group of people to surround myself you know 12 hours a day yeah yeah. So it's, it's and you guys are open seven days a week right oh uh, we close sunday you're close so six sunday. days a week got mm-hmm. it well that's a little bit easier so you're only there easier. six days a week and we only do uh no lunch on saturdays <laughs> okay so it's also a little nice a little bit yeah so the yeah. weekend the weekend actually is almost like a weekend almost a weekend yeah <laughs> the fun part of the weekend that's interesting i mean so you know i guess because it's really like i mean i believe that the term power lunch was created at the four seasons the idea that people, you know, in business would go out for like a big important meeting. I think that that was that phrase was coined at the at the Four Seasons. Yeah, the Power Lunch was definitely created um, at the Four Seasons, but you know, nowadays we we like to um, not just stay within that category, sure. right? Yeah. Um, and offer a lot more. We we have a um, prefix menu that you can come in and have at the at the bar for lunch. Um, and you know it's not just for um business uh executives to do their sure, business sure. meals and spend yeah. this uh, large amount of money um, yeah. and we're open the doors are open for right everybody and anybody yeah. and now um, with the with a slightly smaller dining room um are you finding i mean is it is it packed every night are there available reservations like how how busy is it it's fairly busy yeah, um you know since that restaurant is so the four seasons it's um, there's a lot of uh, businessmen that come in for lunch. Um, so lunch is sometimes we do the same amount of covers for lunch as we do for dinner. Wow! Uh, and we do it within an hour, uh, just because it, it's yeah. the hour break, right? Sure. Between noon to one o'clock, one thirty. Um, so a lot of these offices come in and 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 have lunch with us. Uh, dinner, it's steady um, yeah. and well spread out. So. Um, it doesn't ever feel like super incredibly hard in the kitchen. Yeah. Um, it's, it's that's amazing. I can't think of another like very high end fine dining restaurant where I would imagine that lunch would be as busy or busier than dinner. Yeah, it depends on the day. Yeah, but it's definitely possible. Um, what kind of new uh, dishes do you have coming up on the menu? Uh, working on a pasta dish. Uh, we want to do a mushroom ravioli. Oh, yeah. Um, I like working with pasta, and I haven't had a chance to do it previously in other restaurants. So that's just a little personal thing that I have going on to uh, get better at, at that skill. Um, there is also we're gonna have a halibut on the menu, which we have halibut now, but it'll be a patafu, a mm. um, little more brothy, yeah. um, truffle juice. Uh, it's equal parts veg, uh, uh, veal stock and uh, mushroom stock, finished with a little bit of truffle juice. With halibut. Oh, wow, that sounds yeah. like such a great winter dish. I just tried it last <laughs> last week. It's going to be amazing. Oh, wow. And uh, 
probably do a lobster. I'm excited for a lobster with a bisque, classic mm. bisque. Keep it simple, nice and fresh, clean flavors. Um, we do all the sauces table side. A big part of the Four Seasons is uh, our sauce program. Uh, working at Liberta then, I, number one, understood how to cook fish and how to treat it, obviously, right? But a big part of Liberta then also is um, their sauces. And I developed a passion for sauces. Um, it's a big, big part of, of the dish. It's kind of the copper to electricity, essentially. Sure. Um, so we're huge on sauces. Um, sometimes the protein might stay the same because, you know, some fish and uh, do stay uh, in season for more than just the season. So the sauce will dictate, you know, in winter we'll make a little more thicker sauce. Um, the summer it'll be more of a broth, a little lighter, maybe lemon butter. Um, so, you know, play around with it. Yeah, and, and I mean, I think, and then that really, you know, that allows you, I think, actually to even play around more, right? Because you're not having to create an entire new dish. You're just trying to adjust a sauce and make a perfect sauce for that. Yeah, it's, there's uh, actually times where I think of a sauce and create a sauce, and we'll work the dish around that sauce. Yeah. You know, that's some. I think other people look at it in the sense of like, all right, you have the protein, let's create a sauce and a starch and a garnish for this protein. Sometimes we approach it via the the sauce yeah so i don't know how much about how your kitchen works and what your actual role in the kitchen uh is now but i'm curious to know if there's anything that when you were running gloria that you used to get to do in the kitchen or when you worked at la bernadette that you don't anymore because you're now the head uh butchering Mm. i love butchering it's uh my form of meditation. Sure. You know, my girlfriend is a yoga instructor. She meditates all the time. She always tries to get me to meditate, and I just don't have the patience to sit there and meditate. But um, I explained to her that fishing is my form of meditation. Um, you know, I, I really enjoyed enjoyed doing it, and I do miss it. So whenever I have a chance, I try to get in there yeah. and uh, and butcher some fish. Right. right, but but having the time, I imagine. Yeah, having the time is it's a little more difficult. Because you're here talking to me instead of... Right. <laughs> There's so much going on. And the restaurant. <laughs> right, right, right. Of course, of course. Pretty amazing. <laughs> um, and so you obviously have people, so you guys are bringing in whole fish, and then you've got your team who's taking all that apart. Yeah, big time. Yeah. We have a, a butcher, Jaime is his name. He's been uh, butchering for the Four Seasons for 25 years. Wow. He is amazing. Is he, the, he, lo- is he the longest standing employee? Uh, older? Him and uh, another gentleman who just yeah. retired. He was there for 30 years. Wow. Uh, but yeah, he's makes me look bad when it comes to butchering (laughs) (laughs) well i mean it's great kudos that you have him on your team though yes um what do you cook at home um let's see what do i cook at home it depends on my mood i guess i do like doing pastas i obviously cook a lot of seafood um whenever we do cook i we get a whole fish and uh, we grit bake it or fry it Uh, but we usually stay within vegetables or or seafood got it not a whole lot of meat or chicken, yeah. even though I do love meat and chicken. All right. right. <laughs> um, so as far as special events coming up at the restaurant, I noticed that you guys are doing Thanksgiving. Right. So tell me and tell the listeners a little bit, like, what is what is Thanksgiving like at the Four, at the four Seasons this year? Uh, well, this Thanksgiving is obviously my, my first time around, sure. right? But I um, definitely want to create that um, environment of, of Thanksgiving, obviously, as simple as it sounds. Uh, we're going to offer some of our regular menu, menu, menu items, and also do the Thanksgiving dinner. So you have a choice to, you know, if you want to have uh, tuna carpaccio, you can have it 
as your appetizer and then go into turkey and mashed potatoes. <laughs> uh, so you can create your own little Thanksgiving. Um, I feel like the regulars love going there because they do, they get to see a lot of the people that they've met at the Four Seasons. Friendships have, have probably developed over the years of just running into each other and dining. So I hear that a lot, that feedback mm. um, quite a bit. Um, and it sounds like it's a big family feel. Yeah. Everybody knows each other. Sure. Uh, everybody's happy to be there. Right. And I guess if that's if that's what your family does, right? I mean, some families go to the mountains. Some families go to certain relatives. And there, there must be people now, almost 60 years, they go to the Four Seasons. Right. When we yeah. were about to open the restaurant, um, probably a little bit prior to that, uh, maybe March, uh, we were receiving emails about Thanksgiving. Wow. Even before we were open. Just to make sure you were Just doing it. Just to make it. sure we were doing it. <laughs> so there's people that have been going there for 20 years, 25 years, doing Thanksgiving at the Four Seasons. So it's definitely a, a thing, you know. Do you have any, any sort of fish dishes that you're going to put on the menu for Thanksgiving? I mean, obviously, growing up in Mexico, Thanksgiving wasn't really a thing, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so right. Um, We're playing around with the idea the menu is not completely set yet but i do like the idea of uh um you know since we have a duck and it's shareable right it's for two or three why not have a fish as well yeah. like a whole snapper or sure. a turbo yep. um and although we do want to stay with like a classic american thanksgiving yeah. um but also i think you know thanksgiving it's about giving thanks and enjoying and eating and being around your loved ones yep. and uh so why not have the option to venture out a little bit from the classic yeah. uh thanksgiving meal and uh so you know you have options yeah oysters were always big yeah when I was oysters a kid yeah. at thanksgiving not just in stuffing but like yeah, we, we almost always had oysters on the half right now we have these amazing oysters from uh huntington uh bay and prince edward island mm-hmm. they're wild oysters wow. nobody else has them here in new york city they're unique, silky, briny, but just the right amount of brininess. If you're a, a person that doesn't love oysters, right. but can handle it just because your friends are also eating it, right. um, you'll probably like these. Uh, there's, there's great. Cool. Any other, try. any other, uh, I mean, I assume you guys, do you guys do Christmas? Uh, we'll do Christmas uh, dinner. Got it. But we're close Christmas day. Close Christmas day. Nice. And then New Year's, I imagine, is a big party. New Year's will be a pretty big party. Yeah. Very cool. Anything Anything else coming up? Anything else you want to mention as we close out the show? Um, no. Cool. Well, thank you so much for uh, for joining me today on thank Feast you. Years. It was really fun, and I hope to hope to get in to try some of your uh, some of your menu items and maybe some of the classics. Please do. Yeah. I hope to see you soon. Thank awesome. You. Thanks so much. Thanks, everybody, for listening to Feast Your Ears today. I want to make sure I mention that tickets are now on sale for Winter in the Garden, which is Heritage Radio Network's holiday party. Uh, we are supported by listeners like you. And so if you want to come and you want to come and party with me and party with Matt, our engineer, and party with Katie, the executive director, and everybody else here at HRN and all the other hosts, it's going to be awesome. I am doing a ceviche. I just sat here with Chef uh, Diego talking about fish. I'm going to do a ceviche uh, collaborating with Lena Diaz, who is the butcher and fishmonger at Green Grape Provisions. Greenpoint Fish and Lobster is going to supply us with the fish. We don't know what we're using yet because it's coming up in a couple weeks, uh, but please go to heritageradionetwork.org slash gala, G-A-L-A, and pick up some tickets and come out. It's going to be awesome. I hear there's going to be an ice luge uh, and some other really fun stuff. Uh, and 
If you did, in fact, like this show, please take a moment to rate and review it, and you can reach out to me if you have any questions, harry at thebrooklynkitchen.com. You can follow me on Instagram at thefoodballer. Talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.